Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here, and I am joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, the great Ryan Thor Donovan. <laughs> I added your middle name, Ryan. The greatest pushing it. How you doing uh, today, Ben? I'm doing well. So today is a sponsored episode from the fine folks at Chronosphere, and we're going to be talking about application monitoring uh, in a cloud-native world uh, when you're getting up to some serious speed and scale. Ryan, you and I have touched on um, some topics like this in the past. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we use the word like observability as opposed to monitoring. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think increasingly I'm seeing interesting essays written and even folks internally from Stack Overflow talking about the pros and cons of microservices versus monoliths. And that in some cases, people may have gotten a little bit so enraptured with all the microservices and APIs they can avail themselves of that they can get lost. And when something goes wrong, they're not really sure where it is upstream, downstream, how to fix it. So my sense is that um, Chronosphere tries to address some of those issues. Did I get that right? I think so. I, I think with uh, you know all the data moving around in, in the cloud, it's so easy to kind of uh, divorce your infrastructure, your application mm. from each other that monitoring everything becomes a little more difficult. Yeah, I think that's a good word for divorce everything. All right. So then without further ado, uh, we'd like to welcome Martin Mao from Chronosphere onto the Stack Overflow podcast. Hi, Martin. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, it's our pleasure. Plus you paid us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Martin, for the folks who are listening, what we usually like to do is ask people, how'd you first get into software and technology? Like what was the first bit of code you wrote, you know, and take us, you know, just that 10,000 foot flyover to what is it you do today uh, at Chronosphere kind of on a day to day? So I uh, first got involved with programming uh, using VB and VB.net uh, back mm. in the day. Um, I was actually a, a good friend of mine in high school uh, was entering a programming competition and he needed to do it with a team of three. Um, and I just happened <laughs> to be in his maths class and he needed two other folks that at least knew some maths and, yeah. uh, and could maybe help. So he sort of taught me how to write some basic VB code and, and we entered the competition and uh, actually did quite well uh, and actually won a scholarship uh, to study software engineering at, at university uh, or, or college. Um, can't tell by the accent, I'm originally from Australia. So university uh, back there. And um, and yeah, that, that's how I ended up uh, studying software. I uh, ended up here in the US originally um, working at Microsoft um, out in Seattle and, and, and in Redmond uh, and then worked at other companies uh, along the way, including Amazon uh, and Uber, the ride sharing company. And then three years ago, I decided to uh, found Chronosphere um, mm. with an ex-colleague of mine from Uber. And today I'm the co-founder and CEO uh, of the company. So they don't let me write code as much uh, anymore these days. Um, but yeah, we, we provide a hosted observability platform for companies right. looking to adopt cloud native. Oh, very interesting. Two things I want to know. VB.net, VB, VB.net works with .net. And obviously you said you went to work with Microsoft. Stack Overflow is a .net shop. Nice. I hear about awesome. it all the time in the background from our engineering team. And this is the second time in less than a month that I've talked to someone who's a former Uber employee who started a company with another Uber employee. We just talked to to uh, folks from a company called Big Eye that both worked on the data science nice. team over at Uber. So lots of great talent coming out of there. Yeah, I think we we built a lot of interesting things uh, in the engineering team at Uber over the years. So I'm glad to see uh, a lot of us are, are taking a lot of that experience and, and trying to create something of our own right now. Very cool. So can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the idea behind Chronosphere and why you founded it? Um, what sort of 
you know, pain points it addresses for programmers. Yeah, we'd love to. The story actually dates back to uh, our, our days at Uber. And back in 2014, 2015, they decided they wanted to go uh, and have a microservices-oriented architecture and be more on a container-based um, uh, uh, infrastructure uh, there. Mm. And for us to help them through that transition, and especially from the monitoring back then, it wasn't really even observability, but from the monitoring perspective, what we realized were that the demands of a cloud-native architecture, so perhaps what you may call microservices on containers today, the demands of that mm -hmm. type of architecture is fundamentally fairly different from our old monolithic on VM type of, of architecture, and hence required a, a brand new approach and a brand new uh, type of solution. Uh, we ended up building that internally at Uber and actually open sourcing huge portions of that solution uh, as well. And then, you know, uh, fast forward to perhaps, so we started that project 2015 or so. Fast forward to perhaps 2018, uh, it's when sort of all three cloud providers declared Kubernetes the winner and they were going to sort of provide that as the standardized containerized platform, you know, um, uh, that was going to be supported across all three of the cloud providers. And that was sort of our realization that, oh, wait, perhaps the rest of the industry is also going to adopt this type of architecture. And we just so happen to have a lot of the best technology to solve for a monitoring and observability use case here. We should really do something uh, about that. And that was really the genesis of Chronosphere. Um, and I guess to, to be more specific, you know, these, these demands that a cloud native environment places on, on us is probably in, in four areas. The first is that, and, and I think both of you had mentioned this, there's a lot more uh, smaller pieces moving around. They're a lot more ephemeral, right? And all of that generally uh, produces a lot more data than in our old environments. So you, you generally need a solution that can, can scale a lot higher and can handle um, a lot more data. Um, at the same time, a lot of that data is more uh, complex. It has a lot more dimensions on it. Perhaps some terminology you've heard of here is higher cardinality. You can imagine the ways we want to slice and dice the data is, is more than, than ever before because of how complex these environments are. So for that requirement, you generally need and, you know, something that can handle the performance and, and read a lot more data than you've had to in, in the past. Uh, and the first of these, so more data and more complex data and, and, and more dimensions generally leads to higher costs as well. So imagine the, the cost of observing and, and monitoring, everything goes th through the roof. So generally, mm -hmm. you probably need a more cost-efficient solution as well. And the fourth and, and the, the, the fourth and last thing here um, is, is probably because the architecture is so different, so distributed now, you're going to need specialized features to deal with this type of architecture. So this is where things like distributed tracing comes in, where perhaps the old APM solutions where they're introspecting into a binary is less useful than distributed tracing, where you're looking at a request flow across all of your microservices, including the network flows and, and, and things like that as well. So you know those are probably the four demands um, that a cloud-native environment places on monitoring and observability. And these are the four things that we're really optimized to, to go and solve for companies out there here at Chronosphere. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So tell us a little bit about your tech stack. You were able to found this company. What kind of languages and frameworks did you choose? And you know, why did you choose them, keeping in mind sort of the four you know, pain points and solutions you just uh, walked us through? Yeah. So, you know, you can imagine um, with a lot of these particular challenges, when we were looking at solutions before we decided to build our own, it's actually pretty obvious that nothing in the open source world and actually not much out there available in the market in the vendor world could really solve these problems with these particular properties. So we ended up actually having to build everything from the scratch. So everything from the storage layer to the ingestion tier to the query layer was all completely built from scratch. 
uh, we decided to do it in Go. Go seems to be the the cloud native language of choice uh, here. Hmm. Uh, and I would say, you know, um, th- there are pros and cons for Go uh, for sure. But I would say one of the benefits is that, you know, there's not a million different ways to maybe do something in Go. So you can imagine onboarding new developers is, is pretty easy because reading the code is, is, is fairly uh, uh, simple and standard. Uh, for right. everyone to join but you know the whole tech stack was was custom built in go from the ground up so you can imagine we're not leveraging any other storage technology we're not leveraging things like kafka for for you know ingesting the data or anything like that it's it's all custom built and that's really what you need when you're tackling these problems especially at fairly large scale like we were dealing with at, at uber you really need pretty specific uh technology uh there uh, mm. Now, the whole thing does run on Kubernetes uh, as well. So, you know, we are big believers in cloud native ourselves. So as a SaaS solution, all of this technology now uh, also runs on, on a containerized environment. And you can imagine we build a lot of services there. So we ourselves adopt a cloud native architecture uh, as well. Mm. Nice. We talked about these problems. It kind of gets like a little almost ephemeral, like the cloud itself. It's, it's hard to kind of understand in concrete terms, right? Um, can you talk about some actual things going wrong that that this solves? Yeah, hundred percent. So you know, for, for us, uh, and and you both mentioned this earlier. Perhaps observability is the new buzzword now. But you know, we we've always had to have insight and visibility into our software ever since we started to write the thing, right? And if you look at the the purpose of these monitoring or, or observability tools, those haven't changed um, perhaps very much over the years either. You really want to use these things to do probably three things. It's, it's to detect issues when they occur, uh, to be able to triage them and, and troubleshoot them and understand um, uh, what the impact is, and then to, to be able to actually root cause and fix the particular issue to remediate um, your particular problem. So, you know, for, for, for our perspective, that's always been true and that's true uh, now. Uh, to what you said earlier, Ryan, it's, it's so much harder to do these things now because the, mm. the, the architecture and the environment we work in is so much more complex. Um, but to, to give you some concrete examples in all three areas here, you know, perhaps um, uh, when we're detecting issues, all of these systems historically have emitted data like, hey, what is the error rate? What is the latency of a particular endpoint? So you can imagine if you're rolling out a piece of software and you detect that all of a sudden you have a lot of errors, you know, the first thing you may do there is just to roll back that piece of software straight away and, and, and remediate the issue there, right? So, you know, the role that Chronosphere uh, plays in here, uh, just like with a lot of other observability tools, will be to collect that data, analyze it, and know, know that, you know, um, there are uh, errors being returned now and alert and notify, you can imagine, page through PagerDuty or a tool like that to tell you that this thing has gone wrong. Uh, and then perhaps even integrate with your CI CD system to automatically roll uh, the software back. It's generally what a lot of um, observability systems out there can do, including ours at Chronosphere. Uh, the, perhaps the differentiated there for, for us in particular in, in Chronosphere is that the latency in which that data becomes available in our system is in the tens of milliseconds. So you can imagine we can detect that much faster than a lot of other uh, of the other systems out there. And then we can actually trigger the alert within a second uh, as well. So you can imagine uh, the main difference, it's, it's doing the same thing, but you can imagine if you can detect these issues within a second, as opposed to a minute or 10 minutes, the, the impact is, is heavily reduced there. So, you know, perhaps for that one, that is what we could do differently um, there. The, the second piece is uh, what we call triaging or knowing what's really sort of going on, um, where, you know, a, a concrete example here may be you get alerted when something goes wrong. Again, maybe your error rates are spiking, your latencies are spiking. 
uh, and you get alerted that something uh, has gone wrong and, and you want to know what is the impact. Perhaps you get paged at 2 a.m. in the morning. You're like, do I have to deal with this now or can I go back to sleep and sort of just snooze this until the morning when you know I'm in a better uh, frame of mind here. And I'll tell you for that, um, generally you want to look at what's happening in the system, what the impact is, perhaps how bad is the latency, what effects doesn't necessarily have and and you know a tool like a credosphere or your other observability tools will again be able to sort of collect and store this data and make it available in things like dashboards uh and and whatnot uh, i would say the the difference here for chronosphere would be that uh, because we're really built for high cardinality we're going to allow you to slice and dice the data a lot more than you would n normally be able to so you can imagine not just that the latency is spiking but we can show you well is it the latency from one particular cluster versus another is a latency between one version versus the other one az versus the other and you can imagine each time you want to ask more questions, you need more data to answer that. So being able to store all that data and scale up, but also make these queries fairly performant um, is a pretty big differentiator there in that particular um, use case there. Uh, and then the last piece is, um, you know, root causing the issue, actually finding out what caused something and going and putting in a, a fix. And here um, for Chronosphere, we're, we're sort of um, not only looking at the sort of top level metric data on what the impact is we're also you know can capture a lot of the distributed tracing data so it sort of shows you how your customer flow and what the what the impact is but how that flow occurs through your particular system so you can see okay it is this particular microservice or this part of the stack that is causing the issues and the thing that chronosphere does perhaps uniquely there is that it actually does the analysis for you as opposed to just providing you the data so you can imagine there's a ton of data it's fairly complicated and you can definitely sift through it in a lot of tools out there but for the tool to just tell you hey this is where the root cause is that is perhaps um, fairly differentiated from from what we do versus others in the market. So I guess the system is looking, as you said, at all these different flows of data and trying to respond quickly and isolate things within a larger ecosystem. What happens when your observability system goes down? I mean, then yeah. if the firefight, you know, if the fire's at the fire department, how do you fight it? Yeah, that's a great question. It's maybe, you know, a, a worse nightmare of an engineer that's on call, right? Like something is wrong and I can't I can't see what it is. And and it actually happens more often than we think because, you know, if you think about it, a lot of companies out there manage their own and, and build and run their own solutions. You can imagine those solutions run on the same infrastructure it's in charge of looking after, right? So if the infrastructure is broken, actually the system that's telling you the infrastructure is broken is down at the same time. Um, some companies out there think that I'll solve this by purchasing a vendor SaaS solution because, you know, that's going to be external. But what we're what we're finding more and more is that, you know, there's not that many cloud providers uh, out there in the world. And we generally all use cloud providers out there. So I'd say what we often find is, you know, perhaps when, you know, I don't want to pick on AWS, but perhaps when AWS U US East One region in particular uh, has an issue, and half the internet goes down, you can imagine actually a lot of the vended solutions out there are also impacted. And perhaps if your production is in that region and your vendor is in that region, uh, you're also going to be down at the same time. So you know, perhaps one pro tip is for, for folks out there to, uh, even if you're using a vended solution, go and ask where they are actually running in their backend and ensure that there's not a common public cloud dependency there because that is often um, a, a big cause of the issue. But for, for us, the way we think about um, this is in, in one of two ways. The first is we need something to watch the watcher, right? So something has to tell us that the observability system is up. And for us as a SaaS solution, you can imagine we run a separate version of our own software to, to monitor 
our software and the fact that it is up. You can imagine that separate version is completely isolated in a completely different set of infrastructure than our main production environments. And perhaps that is one tip for folks who are running these systems themselves is you may need a second copy of it to to watch the watcher um, essentially uh, there. The other pro tip that perhaps um, or, or recommendation that, that I may have is that, you know, for a lot of these things, you know, just doing a ping check or like a yes, the system is up is perhaps not enough, right? Like the way we think about it here at Chronosphere is not just is your system up and is it replying to a, you know, is, is it responding with a 200 check? The way we think about it is, is the system actually doing what it's meant to do and n- not just the fact that it's up. So, you know, not only do we have another system looking upon our main system, we go and do things like generate random data and write it into the system and right afterwards read that same random data and ensure that, hey, the whole round trip flow of producing the data and reading the data and your actual use case is is functioning. Uh, and that's actually the type of check that we do to go and generate what our SLAs are for our customers. So it's, it's a lot more than, you know, just a 200, yes, it's up and check. It's, it's actually testing the whole system end to end, and then using that successful test to then, you know, um, give ourselves an SLA um, and, and and measure our SLA uh, that way. Uh, we definitely don't, you know, you can imagine try to ask the customer to ring us up when they see a, a failure <laughs> and start the clock. That those are perhaps the worst. Yeah, actually, as you were talking, it reminded me we did an episode recently about there was a, a major internet outage in Canada. Somebody at Rogers uh, pushed them into production they shouldn't have, and then nobody could fix it because their systems didn't work. In fact, they couldn't even make phone calls to other people <laughs> who might fix it because all their SIM cards had gone out. So only people with emergency SIM cards on other networks could uh, mm. triage the yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, it's all networked. So as, as uh, more companies are getting cloud native, you know, the, the old application monitoring solutions were like the, the dashboards, the uh, system traces, logging and all that, right? Mm-hmm. What's the difference from that sort of generation, uh, generation one application monitoring to the gen two platforms that are going to keep up with kind of the greater speed and scale of the future? Yeah, the first thing I'll say there is, is perhaps we're on gen three um, of these systems uh, now. It was almost the original APM type of solutions and IT monitoring solutions that you had mentioned uh, Ryan, mm-hmm. I think originally they were mostly on-premise and then we sort of saw the Gen 2 of these things and they were mostly SaaS solutions. However, they were targeted at an environment that, that we all used to run, which was primarily VMs and you know um, larger monolithic applications on VMs, right? So you can imagine those environments, the sort of properties that we were talking about earlier, the, the much larger volume and scale of data that's being produced, the much higher cardinality of it, the fact that it didn't cost as much, the fact that the architecture was different, I think meant that the ideal solutions for the old architecture were what they are and what they are still today. Um, Mm -hmm. And and as you said, I think what's happening is as our architecture is evolving, again, what we're trying to do with these tools in terms of detecting issues and solving them, that hasn't changed. But the thing that's really changed is the architecture fundamentally looks very different now. So I think, you know, as you look at more modern, perhaps Gen Gen 3 solutions now, um, you're really looking at solutions that are optimized for these particular environments. And I really feel like you can't have a solution that's optimized for both. It's either good for one or the other, right? So the way we look at it here at Chronosphere is that we're really trying to optimize for cloud native environments there's no reason perhaps you, you couldn't use a, a old solution for the new environment or the new solution for the old environment. But you can imagine if you tried to do something like that, um, and a lot of folks are running, perhaps running into this now, is that the tools are not as effective. You can imagine they're they're not really built for distributed architecture. So they're, to your point, providing you 
D-Trace and S-Trace uh, perhaps into the OS as opposed to how the request is, is really flowing across your, your broader architecture here. And also we're finding that a lot of companies are complaining about the cost because the volume of data just increases. So everybody's mm. complaining about the bills and how expensive these things are getting <laughs> and really starting to question the value right. of these things. So, you know, I think the Gen 3 solutions are going to be speci specifically targeting the, the pain points that get introduced when you do the architecture switch and that's probably the main the main difference there yeah just speaking to the pendulum there was a story the other day about companies that are moving their machine learning models on-prem so that they don't have crazy cost overruns when they don't expect them yeah. and also for some of them it was like supermarkets how and when to stock the inventory on the shelves and you know they, yep. they wanted latency not to be an issue so interesting how everything moved to the cloud and now in some cases to avoid cost or for the benefit of speed is moving back I mean, I guess th these are the, the, the larger cycles that are yeah. that we all live within, uh, and I'll say for, for some of those, you know, I, I think the power and the flexibility and the scalability of the cloud is great. But if you have sort of consistent workloads that you know about, you know, that, that are humming along all the time, perhaps you know, a, a on-premise data center is is just fine. Um, mm -hmm. I think for cloud native, uh, in particular, with the containerized uh, platforms, I think um, the interesting thing is you're going to run into these problems regardless of whether you're in public cloud or on-premise, it, it's more that, you know, if you are adopting a container-based platform across those two environments, that's where a lot of these challenges are going to be coming up. It's the fact that you're changing your architecture that way, as opposed to, you know, you're, you're running in public cloud versus um, an on-premise data center. Right, right. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was your experience as a developer at these different places and now yeah. as a founder. You know, we've heard a lot through our developer survey and through our podcast about developer burnout and what it's like to be yep. working now in a largely remote environment. Do you feel that there's something within the tools you're proposing that might help with that? You know, does cloud native, I guess, make it worse? And is good observability part of the answer? Yeah, I, you know, my, my personal opinion is that cloud native definitely makes it worse for developers. Now, I think, you know, going cloud native in that architecture um, does promise a lot of great things in terms of reliability, scalability so th there's a lot of um, advantages of it which which i think people can see and hence the whole industry is sort of moving in that direction um, mm -hmm. but a lot of the the advantages come at a cost and that cost mm. i would say is primarily on the developers more than anybody else uh there so you know going back to my days when i worked at microsoft um, this was back when they had devs tests and, and and pm right so you know i'd I write my code i wouldn't even be in charge of testing my code which is you know uh almost fantastic back then definitely was not in charge of operating that code in production right so right. it was just the the scope of the role was so much smaller whereas if you look at today you know um you're develop you're, you're generally in charge i think that sort of dev and test mentality has really largely disappeared now so so you're really responsible for uh writing that service uh testing it but today um actually um operationalizing it as well like deploying it into production um so already there's more there's more scope and there's more responsibilities there but you can imagine a cloud native environment you're deploying to a very complex architecture and environment here where you can imagine the infrastructure from underneath you is changing all the time uh, you have so many downstream dependencies that you don't perhaps really understand um so you know you can imagine as a developer you were already probably pretty stressed to be on core originally i don't know if anybody would say they won't be stressed to being on core you can imagine how much more stressful it is now you know rolling out something where it's not even about like your own application or your own service you're rolling out 
you really don't have any idea how that may impact downstream things or upstream things or the business. Uh, and it's so much harder for you to gain that, that understanding uh, today than ever before. So I would imagine it's even more stressful now than it ever uh, has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what, what observability in general, and of course, chronosphere falls in this camp, but I think what good observability in general does is it, it really provides you that insight and that context so that when you when you go do something, A, you can see and understand all of the effects and actually detect whether you do have any impact on anybody else upstream or downstream. Uh, and if something does go wrong, it gives you that visibility uh, to go in and, and figure it out and fix the issue. So I think the better the tooling is, the more confidence uh, you generally have um, operationalizing these these particular systems and the more confidence you have, I imagine that the less stressful um, you get. So, um, you know, I, I, I think there's a good correlation there, but yeah, we're, we're definitely um, having developers pay a ton of the, the cost of getting the advantages of a cloud native architecture for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've heard many times, you know, uh, the story about how much easier it is now to spin up the, you know, MVP of the app or then, you know, build it into a business where a developer is handling, like you said, a lot of the different roles and responsibilities Mm -hmm. and they're turning to X as a service to, you know, really scale. And then, you know, maybe this story hasn't been told enough, but a year in, you're starting to get clients who are paying and they have, you know, service agreements and it's, uh, you know, I built all this. I'm responsible yep. for all this, you know, and that's like yep. when uh, the rubber really hits the road and you have to, you know, yep. think about how to keep an eye on everything and how to understand if something's not working, where, in what direction it's coming from. 100%. Yeah. All righty, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, somebody who came on Stack Overflow, saved a question from the dustbin of history and helped spread some knowledge through the community. Awarded yesterday to David, how can I convert Byte to input stream? All right, David, thank you for answering. For folks who want to know, the answer will be in the show notes. And this question has been viewed over 160,000 times, so helped quite a lot of people. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always reach me on Twitter at Ben Popper. You can always email us with questions or suggestions. Podcast is Stack Overflow. I have been shouting people out. I have taken out the cold intro. We are listening. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. Uh, I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. Uh, If you want me to find me on Twitter, uh, I'm at uh, Thor Donovan. And if you uh, have ideas for the blog, uh, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. I'm Martin. I'm the CEO co-founder of Chronosphere. If you want to chat about observability in general or learn more about Chronosphere, please go to chronosphere.io uh, and feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Um, my first name is Martin, last name is Mao, M-A-O. Feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat about uh, any topic on, on your minds. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Martin. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.